Welcome to Free Wheeling with Carden of Milk. I'm Carden Wyckoff, global disability advocate and a wheelchair warrior. This podcast shares stories of people with various disabilities and shines a new light on accessibility topics. Our goal is to knock down barriers so we can roll through life a little easier and build a community to do this together. We welcome you on our journey towards equality for all. Today, I have my mama, Chris John Wyckoff in the house. Glad to be here with my <laughs> precious girl. And today we are going to continue talking about what it is like for parents, siblings who have uh, or know someone who's affected with a disability. And so you being my mama, I wanted to pick your brain about what it has been like for you having a child with a disability um, what was it like when you first found out or what were those initial things that you noticed were different? How did you advocate for me? How did the family take it when you told them? Um, and then just what has it been like either watching me grow? What has it been like uh, watching you grow? What have you learned? And how can we help other parents who have children with disabilities or are going through a hard time managing how to handle the world because the world can be a very inaccessible place. It takes a village really to raise anyone with who has challenges, physical challenges especially. Well, that's a whole bunch of questions all at once. <laughs> all right, so I guess we'll start at the beginning. Um, I guess I first noticed signs of your disability um, when you were probably about five or six, and it was things like um, you couldn't whistle. Uh, you sometimes slept with your eyes slightly opened, which when I would come in to kiss you goodnight was a little creepy because I thought you were awake, but you weren't. Clearly, you weren't. Um, and I think one of the defining moments for me was when you tried to earn and couldn't the Presidential Physical Fitness Award at elementary school. And I thought, why can't she do a sit-up? There was no reason. You were physically thin. You were athletic. You were playing you know, basketball and soccer and running and riding bikes and doing things that other kids could do. But that was, those were probably the early signs for me. So I took you to your pediatrician and tried to probe and ask about what were some of the reasons behind this having really no idea um, as to what was coming or a diagnosis or anything, and feeling very frustrated by every doctor that I had spoken to at the time, um, who basically thought it was all in my head, there was nothing wrong with you, and I was the crazy, overbearing mother. Well, I knew better than that, and so kept persisting, and found my way to a pediatric neurologist, uh, Dr. Joanne Janis, who used to be here in Atlanta, no longer is. Um, and I made an appointment 
and I'll never forget, she had a fellow who was not her assistant, but uh, under her tutelage. Uh, and she had you walk across the room when we first met her. And she turned to me as you sat down on the medical examining table and said, oh, I think she's got FSHD. And I said, excuse me, what? Yes, I think she's got FSHD. I said, well, what is that? And she said, it's a form of muscular dystrophy. I said, well, what's muscular dystrophy? Literally knew nothing. And so that started the chain of, well, if she has it, then perhaps I have it. Perhaps your father has it. Uh, perhaps your brother has it or your sister has it. Um, and it really sparked the need for going and checking and finding out more about it. And that was about 18 years ago. So at this point, it was early stages of diagnosing people with FSH. The FSH Society, I believe, was um, established, but I didn't know about it at that time. And we made connections once we did get your diagnosis and found out and confirmed that your father and I didn't have it, that it was a kind of muscular dystrophy that was usually inherited, but sometimes spontaneous. And all of that was very bewildering and very scary as a parent feeling very lost without any support um, and facing something that I knew nothing about and very worried about my child. Yeah. And with that, I'm sure I can only imagine what it would have been like to be given something and not know anything about it, where it would go and how that child's I guess, way of living would transform or be. And is it deadly? Is it life-threatening? Whatever it is, what were some of the ways that you overcame those struggles? Who were your strongest support systems? Okay. Want me to get you a tissue? I think when you get a diagnosis like that, it's probably the most horrific thing that any parent can hear. Because as a parent, you, especially a mother, you give birth to this beautiful baby and you want all the best for it and you want a better life than what you've had. And when you're given a diagnosis of something that was not going to be fatal, but was going to lead perhaps to living a life in a wheelchair um, or a life with pain, no parent wants that for their child. And I felt very alone and um, it was 
uh, it was difficult because I don't feel that I had a whole lot of support from anyone. And why do you say that? Um, well, I think people take that kind of a diagnosis and that kind of uh, a thought and it's it's everybody deals with that that kind of news and knowledge in different ways meaning that some people will stand up and face and fight like warriors in situations others want to bury their heads in the sand and deny it i found that in or they want to feel sorry for you um which really does no good in that in that circumstance so it was a period of time in those early years where i felt very very much alone my mother who has always been my greatest support system was so upset by it that i found it difficult to talk to her about it because it made her so upset and she was feeling the pain of a mother with me and a granddaughter and so that wasn't very helpful i think other family members uh were bewildered and in denial as well so i did what i could and i felt really like a lone warrior um going out there on my own and i reached out to the mda association here through emory and for those who don't know what's the mda uh the muscular dystrophy association through them found uh a group of you know doctors that were looking after you and um so it was about the only local person that knew anything about muscular dystrophy but they didn't know a lot about fsh and i don't remember exactly how i made the first contact with the fsh society in massachusetts but i remember very distinctly a call that i had with carol perez who is daniel perez's mother and is no longer with us she was a mother with a child who had fsh and she was amazing supportive confident really gave me a lot of direction of things that i could do and that this was not going to kill you which allayed a lot of my fears and that i needed to do everything i could to advocate for you whether it was in school or in life in relationships in my family in with your friendships and that i was going to experience something that probably none of my friends experienced but that my journey was going to be my journey and it was going to be our journey together so i decided that I was going to learn everything that I could about the disease. And again, this is very early stages of 
diagnoses. There was no one else here in the Atlanta area that I knew that had FSH or that really the doctors at the MDA at Emory knew. And what year was this around? You were about nine years old. So... 2001, two? 2001, 2002, yes. I had just changed careers at that time from being a stockbroker to being a teacher. Had three children, a husband, and a life that was instantly changed. And yet I had no map or really no way, no map to follow. And back then we weren't as connected through the internet or communications, telecommunications, everything was just all very, very new. So the feeling of isolation was, was probably the most paralyzing because um, you didn't, you couldn't just do a quick Google search or a tweet no. or any of that. None of that really it didn't existed. Exist. It, there, there were all barely, you had was a pamphlet on paper that listed a little bit about the FSHD right. Society, probably exactly, and a phone number to Carol Perez, and the light that she gave you is probably, I mean, it was incredible. Yeah. And what advice would you give to other parents who do you recommend doing that? Or do you recommend fighting it alone? Oh, I definitely recommend fighting their strength in numbers. And um, today things are very different because there is um, there are so many communities out there. Uh, the FSH Soci- FSHD Society now is so amazing, their patient advocacy, their parent advocacy, the support system that has been put in place, the fundraising for research and development that is now basically worldwide, the conferences that they have, the just the sense of community on Facebook for both patients and for parents and for those adults living with uh, FSH, I would take advantage of all of those things. There are now chapters uh, for fundraising like the Atlanta Walk and Roll that we were part of last fall, Um, but they're exploding now. And with the money that is being raised, phenomenal amounts of money to be raised is only going to advance research to help in finding a cure. And I truly believe that a cure will be found and that there are so many people now involved and in place to help go forward. My advice to other parents would be to get involved in a community, Um, whether you're the one who's living with FSH, whether you're the parent, the brother, the sister, the grandparent, or whatever, get yourself educated and um, be be the advocate. One of the, the most important lessons that I have learned with battling this is you really have to be a warrior. You can't be an ostrich and put your head in the sand and ignore it. It's not going to go away. And there are things that are available in the sense of community, of sharing of ideas, of 
for example, when it became time for us to look at uh, leg braces, for example, for you, um, and having a friend named Rob Fulmer here in the Atlanta area uh, and being involved with his family's fundraising of efforts in the very early stages. Um, and he was an advocate for a certain kind of leg brace. And that allowed me to do some research and find something that would counteract your foot drop so you wouldn't trip and fall and crack your skull open while well, you did that anyway. But that was a whole scary thing. Yeah. But I think as the parent you of a child at, at any age, you just have to step up and take charge and, you know, don't, don't allow anybody to tell you that you don't know something or that you can't do something. Um, it just takes being polite and assertive and confident and surround yourself with people who have knowledge to share with you and little tidbits that you can pick up from here and there from individual people is, has been a godsend. And for you, education and advocacy is very close to your heart. As you are a teacher in fifth grade, how did you go about either learning more about the education accommodations, the 504 plans, um, the other college accommodations? How can we help support children with disabilities and what avenues are available to them to thrive? Well, here in Georgia, in Cobb County specifically, um, the education support that you have comes through the counselors, um, the guidance counselors at school, and the special ed department. So it requires a parent perhaps to take the initiative to contact them and uh, put into place request for a 504, um, which is a legal document basically that protects the child, the patient, uh, with whatever disability it is, whether it's ADHD or needing accommodations because some kind of mental um, disability or physical disability. Uh, there are all sorts of different health impairments that we make accommodations for in school. And that document protects the child and student teachers and administrators have got to follow it or they're breaking the law. So it starts with the parent taking the initiative and requesting to have a meeting and needing perhaps accommodations through a 504 document. And as a teacher as well, I'm sure you also stand up for the kids that you teach. I do. Um, and can you talk a little bit more about what it's like being as a teacher and how you help parents realize maybe the child does need extra accommodations. Yes. Sometimes the parents come to us. Sometimes the parents don't necessarily know. For example, like ADHD, which also falls under other health impairments for children that need extra accommodations because of their ADHD. A lot of times I will make suggestions if they're child is having focusing issues or is failing in school or having some kind of an academic impact 
because of a disability. I'm not a doctor. I don't diagnose ADHD. I just have seen it in 19 years of being in education. I've seen things like attention and focus affect children in their academic success. So that specifically, if they have other kinds of health impairments, whether it's physical and they need extra time, they need to sit in a certain place in the classroom, they need to have a, some kind of speech therapy or occupational therapy, all of those things are available through our public school systems. And what are some of the accommodations that you thought of or advocated on my behalf? Well, initially in elementary school, it really, you didn't require very many, really any. Um, and that was true through middle school. It wasn't really until high school that we realized that you needed a little bit extra time and that stairs were becoming a problem for you and that we needed to get you elevator access. You needed to be able to use the restroom whenever you needed to. You needed to be able to have extra time on your tests if necessary. Um, so those kinds of accommodations had to be written in so that teachers were required to honor them. And why would you tell a parent to have a child get a accommodation plan for them? Does that set them up for success when they're applying to college or other postgraduate programs? Well, the 504s don't go to college with you, unfortunately. Okay. They're through K through 12 education. But because you had a 504 when you went to UGA, we sat down with the disabilities office and we wrote some accommodations for you in school. And that was something that was ever-changing as your needs were changing. For example, I think you had access to um, a special bus that would pick you up from the closest classroom door and take you to your next class so that you didn't have to walk on the campus. And eventually, uh, you needed a scooter and you needed, you were still walking at that time, you're still ambulatory, but with your leg braces. And there were times when we got your testing done in the Office of Disability Resources, your end of course testing instead of in the classroom. There were accommodations made for classroom placement that were either near an elevator or near a, a bathroom. Little things like that, schools can make accommodations for. They just have to be thought about and planned, and that the parent and the child need to work on together. That's all fabulous information, and I think there's a lot of parents that maybe don't feel that they should advocate for their their kid, right? Oh, to, they absolutely have to. They have to. They have to. You have to be a mama bear. <laughs> Warrior woman. Yes. Um, and just segueing a little bit away from education, what have you learned about yourself through the journey of my 26 years of living? That I'm strong. <laughs> that you are I a strong woman. I'm uh, determined and will persevere through any challenge, regardless of what is what is presented to me, 
I know that I'm an intelligent human being and that I'm going to find out about it and research it, that I'm going to advocate for my children and those I love without regard to anything else. It's the most important thing. You're a strong woman. (laughs) I remember early when I was diagnosed, it was scary and confusing, but for me, I didn't really realize that there was anything wrong with me because I acted in function just like any other normal child did, at least in my mind. But I do remember you telling me there's two ways that you can go. You can either dig your head in the sand and cry and be sad, or we can work on this together. And so that's what we've done. Mm -hmm. It's been an incredible journey and it continues to be. What have, what has it been like for you to watch me either progress or change or it's the hardest thing it's the hardest thing any parent could ever have to experience hurts my heart I wish I could trade places I remember when you were a little girl. I remember very distinctly saying to you something like, well, Cardin, we know about your shit. This is your shit. (laughs) And at least we know about what your shit is. I don't know what my shit is. And I don't know what it's going to be that I will have to deal with, but I do know that this is not going to kill you. And we're just going to fight it. And we're just going to do it together. And so and that we it's did. better to know what you're faced with than to not know. And there are many people who have very rare, unusual diseases, uh, disabilities, and There is no infrastructure and organization to help them, and they are really lonely. And that's the way it was in the beginning for me, and that's a very scary place to be. But I would say what my mother taught me, how do you eat an elephant? One bite at a time. That's exactly right. And you can face any challenge if you break it apart and you deal with a little bit at a time. I will say that I am fortunate that I have a very strong sense of faith. I do believe that he is looking after all of us, and he has provided guidance and support for me, and that that's a priceless place. And so when I'm confused, that's where I get my greatest support is from him. Very well said. And that act of feeling lost and confused, would you say it? a lot of that was eliminated when we found out what it was? Would it you was, say that's true? And so would I would you, say that's true because y- you, if you know who your enemy is, you can fight your enemy. But if you don't know who your enemy is, you don't know what side they're going to attack you from next. But the part, the problem with that was that once we had the diagnosis, 
And since it wasn't in any side of our family, there is no sense of history to be able to, or guidance to go and, you know, oh yeah, your grandfather had that, or your mother had that, or your cousin had that, or something like that. So there was no place to go to say, well, how have you dealt with it? Or how have, how have you found ways to make things better? And we tried a lot of things to try to relieve um, various aspects of your of your pain. And you were vigilant about trying to figure out um, <laughs> ways to counteract mostly, I would imagine, the pain that your body was feeling as your muscles were disintegrating, basically. What are some of the common misconceptions that you may have heard or seen of a child with a disability or as a parent who has a child with a disability are that you, you want to dispel? physical or mental? Because um, they're good. obviously different. Sure. Um, well, we can gear towards physical disabilities. So I think the things that are always hard are that when your body is physically deteriorating, yours was the winging of your scapula, you had lordosis, you walked funny or differently, you couldn't run, it started to affect um, your muscles in your face, so it made smiling difficult and... So things like that, you can't just run up to somebody and say, well, she's got FSHD and leave her alone or, you know, don't ask her to smile. She's doing the best she can or she's walking as best she can or whatever. You want to protect your child from the stares or the unkind things that people say because they don't understand. I think in situations like that, being kind and respectful and not getting angry often works better than the opposite. Is there a particular example that, or how you would frame it when a parent whispers to you and says, you know, what's up with your daughter or has that ever happened to you? And how have you managed that? I can't think of a specific instance that that happened to me. Um, I think because I'm a teacher, perhaps I go towards, I lean towards educating others about it and am forthright about it, kind of front run it a little bit rather than explaining afterwards. I would rather say something in advance or ask for their help. Could you open the door? It would be helpful if you did this. And I think people genuinely want to help other people yeah, I and agree. are genuinely kind, but they don't know how, and they don't know necessarily what to do. Yep. Um, an aspect that I have chosen to do is to educate my own students about FSH and your disability. And so being inclusive about stories or pictures or inviting you to the class or to the school to educate others kind of follows along the lines of what you did when you were in high school, where you had a day where you educated all the kids at Wheeler High School as to what muscular dystrophy was all about. Right. And you brought in Darius Reams and, mm -hmm. you know, 
did that whole education. So you have kind of followed, I think, a little bit in my footsteps about <laughs> helping be an advocate, not yeah. only for yourself, but for others. And it's kind of carried through not only from, you know, your elementary, middle, high school, college years, but you've continued that advocacy in through your adult life. And I'm so infinitely proud of you for what you do, for the courage that you have to put yourself out there, all the different ways in the Atlanta area and beyond that you have influenced other people into not accepting their disability as something that is something to just bury their head in the sand and not address, Mm -hmm. but to address it full on and be proud of what you are able to do rather than what you can't do. Right. Focusing on the positive aspect of it rather than the negative things of, oh, all the the things that are being taken away from me. Uh, It's always thought of the mindset as when one door closes, three others open. And that's what I always continue to remind myself. And also being an advocate stems from learning from you, watching you. So thank you. You're welcome. I love you. I love you too. So is there anything else that you want to share to parents with children with disabilities, how you can help them be successful? I think I pretty much said it, that you just stand up and be accountable and face your challenges and do it with a smile on your face and do it with kindness in your heart. Do everything because it's really all out of a place of love. Mm-hmm. that you're coming from. And if you're coming from a place of love, people see that in you and they respect that in you and they want to emulate that. I have my word, as you know, and my word is inspire. And I wear it in a bracelet on my wrist every day. And I like to think I not only do that in my classroom, but I do it with my friends and with my family and obviously, certainly with my children and with with other people to inspire them to be the best people that they can be in life and to make a difference and to do something about improving the world in some in some small way or big way. It doesn't really matter. But if everybody were able to do that and to influence the world in their own little world or community or classroom or family in a positive way, I just think how much better our world would be. And I really hope hope that for the future. Well, thank you, Mom, for being here and being my strongest support system and helping me get through the challenging times. Couldn't have done it without you and your leadership and your expertise. So thank you. You're very welcome. I love you. Love you too. How can others, can parents reach out to you? What are ways that we can connect um, people back to you or if you want to take on that challenge or give us a plug of where people can find you? uh, You can find me on Facebook. (laughs) Okay, perfect. (laughs) That's a good place for old ladies like me. (laughs) (laughs) My generation is there, maybe not so much (laughs) yours, but certainly mine. And Christian Wyckoff is her name. W-Y-C-K-O-F-F. Why cough when you can sneeze? As As daddy was persecuted his whole life with. (laughs) 
Great, great. Well, thank you, Mom, for being here. You're welcome. Appreciate it. I'm so thankful that my mom came in and shared her journey, what it is like to raise a child with a disability and to go through all those emotions, especially when you feel so isolated and alone um, with all the uncertainties. And I hope that parents out there who are fighting this um, or have recently received a diagnosis for their child or have given birth to a child that will need some extra tender, loving care. I hope that you will see the light through this and that you can be a strong warrior. As always, the transcripts are in the notes and please send your feedback, comments, suggestions. I want it all at 470-588-1215. I'll see you next week. Bye.